All right. Well, let's um, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, um, what a great salvation you have accomplished for us, and uh, that you apply to us. And Lord, what a what a privilege it has been to uh, to study through this and uh, to learn the the various aspects in more detail. And um, God, I just pray that. Um, you would give us a greater understanding that we truly would know the great salvation that you have given us. And, and I mean, Lord, that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning is, is our own knowledge of our salvation. And um, God, I just pray that you would give us a, a deep assurance um, and confidence in your love toward us. And um, God, just that it would uh, stir us up to, um, to love and good deeds and um, God, that we would be a people uh, that uh, are holy in your sight um, because of the great work that you are working in us. And Lord, we know that it is by your work. And so we trust that you will answer this prayer. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, we are continuing in our study on um, the application of redemption, uh, nearing the end now. Um, and of course, we need to do our review. Um, so let's see here. So what we've talked about in the past um, I'll just kind of run through them here. Um, we've talked about effectual calling, and that's um, where God the Father calls us into fellowship with his Son. He, we are um, basically called out of darkness into light. Um, regeneration, that is basically the effect of the calling. That is where the Holy Spirit comes and gives us new life. We are born again. Um, and result of that is uh, repentance and faith. Um, that's our response. And repentance is when we, we see and recognize our sin, um, are uh, truly sorrowful for it, and turn from that to God. And uh, faith specifically is our trusting in, resting in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Um, and so we... Uh, we abandon every other um, means by which we might find acceptance with God other than simply uh, trusting in his mercy. Um, and um, in salvation, uh, we are united to Christ. We are um, in him so that we are in him and he is in us. Um, and the result of that is that we gain all the benefits of his accomplished work of redemption. Um, and so looking at it from that perspective, we have uh, to start with justification. That's a, a legal declarative act that God makes where he declares us to be righteous in his sight. He uh, reckons us to be righteous, even though we are in ourselves still sinners. He, views us as righteous. 
um, he also adopts us as his children. We become uh, sons and daughters of God. Um, so there we are brought into God's family and um, just made heirs of, of all that that entails. Um, another benefit of being united to Christ is that we are sanctified. Um, we share in the, the new resurrected life of Christ and, um, and in the death that Christ died to, to sin and to the power of the, of the law to condemn us. And as a result, we in our lives, in practice, live more and more uh, righteously, more and more in conformity with the law of God. We are more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Um, and then, as we talked about last week, uh, perseverance. Um, we um, not only, you know, God does this work in us, and he not only begins it, but he brings it to completion. He causes us to persevere in faith, causes us to persevere in holiness. Um, and so um, for everyone that this whole process began with effectual calling, he brings it all the way to completion. Um, and um, it's not simply a, um, we profess faith in Christ and then we live however we want and we um, therefore, you know, will be saved in the end, but that God causes us to persevere, causes us to continue to be people uh, who follow him to the end. And that's where we've been thus far. Um, so this morning we're going to talk about assurance, which is only sort of uh, a part of the application of redemption. I mean, it, to a large degree, it goes along with perseverance. And it really is just our knowledge of the fact that, um, I guess I should move on to the definition um, and ask you guys, what, what, what would we, what would be the definition when we talk about assurance, specifically the assurance of salvation? Um, can anybody venture a, a definition of what this is? It is the comfort and knowledge we have that uh, our salvation is real. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good answer. Um, what I put here was confidence that God has bestowed His saving grace on me, um, and I'm I don't know why, but the uh, I the italics actually work this time. Last last time I did this, the italics didn't work, so I put quotes around it just to make sure. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's the idea, not, not just that God, um, is gracious and saves, but, uh, that he has bestowed his saving grace on me, that, um, we have that confidence that we have been a partaker of God's saving grace. Um, so yeah, it, it really is just an assurance that all of this that we've learned about salvation, um, is actually applied to us. Um, so that's that's what it is. Um, now, the first thing um, to talk about when it comes to assurance is that it is something that is attainable. Um, this is not something that everyone agrees on. Um, I know specifically uh, 
when it comes to the the Roman Catholic Church, um, that's one of their big things is is basically saying that for the ordinary person, uh, assurance is is not attainable. Nobody can really have assurance of salvation. Um, various other um, religious uh, perspectives would would also argue that way. Um, but the Bible tells us very plainly that assurance is attainable. Uh, John, in his letter, First uh, John, um, I think I got the citation wrong. I think that's 513 off the top of my head. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's 513. So my apologies there. First um, John 513 uh, says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so there we see John's purpose in writing, and he's, to a large degree, he's summing up his his um, entire epistle there. <clears throat> he's saying, I'm writing these, these things to you for the purpose that you may know that you have eternal life. And so he's he's that's his purpose is um, not just that you would be saved, but that you would know that you're saved. That's the that's the idea. So he is definitely saying that um, that an assurance of salvation is attainable. Um, but not everybody has assurance. Um, it's not something you're guaranteed to have. Um, when we consider uh, King David, um, at one point in his life, um, he uh, fell into uh, some pretty grievous sin with his adultery with Bathsheba and the the murder of uh, Uriah. Um, and I... I uh, I discovered it's it's a little difficult to actually find anything in scripture where you explicitly have somebody who we know is saved but isn't assured of their salvation. Um, so, but the closest we can find is somebody who we have every reason to believe was saved at the time and was greatly struggling with their with their sin. Um, and this, I think, is a is a pretty good example of that. Um, so. Uh, psalm 51, um, which is David's psalm of repentance after he had um, committed this sin. Uh, just just looking at verses 7 through 12 here. Um, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Uh, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So, is there any indication um, in this passage that, um, that, that David was struggling with the assurance of salvation here? Anybody point to anything in particular in this? Well, like verse 11, the whole cast me not away from your presence mm -hmm. um, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me is, is acknowledging, um, is acknowledging the fact that, you know, he wants 
felt that, that he felt that presence and he had that Holy Spirit, but that he's worried that that could be taken away from him. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And when you consider that his predecessor on the throne, uh, Saul, um, had been granted God's spirit, um, but that, that the the Holy Spirit had left him and he was tormented by an evil spirit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that's part of what's in David's mind is like, well, you know, that happened to the guy before me and he really doesn't want that to happen to him. So, yeah. Uh, anything else in this passage? Verse 11 is definitely the main one. I guess 12 is, a, is another good one there um, where he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Um, so it's it's clear that, you know, that uh, at that point, David David had felt the joy of salvation, but at, he wasn't anymore. So um, definitely somebody who was struggling with um, the fact that they had um, sinned against God and were very concerned about um, about their state. Um, so it's something that um, that uh, that definitely people can struggle with. People who are believers, um, just for various reasons, um, often just because they you know find themselves having committed some grievous sin, um, and then they look at their lives and they say, "Am I even saved?" And um, you know but they, they may still be saved, um, but they're struggling with their assurance. Um, another thing that's important to note is that assurance and faith um, are not identical. Um, sometimes um, people have basically associated the two. Um, I know I've, I've referred to this in a previous lesson. I think it was during this series, but um, the exact context is escaping me, but um, probably, actually, I think it was in, during when we were talking about faith specifically. Um, but I, there's, there are some who would, uh, basically teach that to, to doubt your salvation is to not have faith in Christ. Um, and so basically they're, they're taught that the last thing you ever want to do is doubt your salvation. Um, but, uh, the, the fact is, is that you can doubt your salvation and um, and still have faith in Christ, uh, still be uh, redeemed, still be a child of God, even though you're not sure um, that God's saving grace has come to you. I mean, it's, you know, it's the it's the idea that you you recognize your sin, you're uh, you're you're trusting in Christ, but you. Um, you can have this fear that you're just deceiving yourself that you're a child of God and say, well, yes, I, I, uh, I know that, that Christ came and redeemed sinners and those who put their, their faith in him, um, they will be saved. But has that been applied to me? I'm not sure. Um, and so it's, it's important to note that like, that faith and assurance are not the same thing. Um, 
again, it's hard to find something that's really explicit along these lines. But um, if we look at the uh, the example of Peter, um, and this is kind of just to sum up a passage that I'm sure everybody's familiar with, where um, where Peter has um, has denied the Lord three times uh, at the, at the point where Jesus had been arrested and, um, you know, and Peter is very scared. Um, and people will say, Hey, you're, you're one of his followers, right? And he keeps denying them. And then at the, at the end, um, Matthew 26 verse 75, uh, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And so there we see that, um, obviously Peter is, uh, very distraught over his actions here. He is, um, feeling very guilty about his denial of Jesus. Um, but if we look back at something that happened some hours before Jesus is speaking to, to Peter about this. Um, this is back in uh, Luke 22, uh, verse 31 and 32. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So there we see um, basically, you know, Jesus um, predicting this and um kind of stating um, some kind of behind the scenes things about it. So if we're considering the question of is assurance and faith the same thing, does this passage give us any clues um, to how we should approach that? I mean, I, I hope that like the answer that, that faith and assurance are not the same thing is, is I think I hopefully that's just an obvious truth, but to to try to get some scriptural support for that, um, does this passage give us any indication of how we should view that? Well, I mean, I think that this passage makes it really evident that our faith doesn't come from us mm -hmm. because it says, "But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail," mm -hmm. and I think the whole idea of you just need more faith is a very uh, what our, in our family we call it Disney theology type, right. you know, concepts that that would imply that your faith came from you mm -hmm. and you're in control of how much faith you have versus mm -hmm. faith being from God. Um, so I think we can see that there and that the assurance part is very much the, the is, um, is more of that sense of, of, of personal feeling. It is something where we have, Mm -hmm. um, right. But because we're fallen, we have that ability to falter in that feeling. Right. Yeah, that's that is exactly right. Yeah, it's I mean, it's very clear that it's like uh, Peter's Peter's faith is, you know, it's very much dependent on the working of God. Um, and even though he's going to go through this situation where he's probably going to be really, really low on assurance. Um, Jesus has guaranteed his faith is not going to fail. So, uh, you know, basically you, you have a almost an explicit statement of, you know, lack of assurance, but faith still being there. 
Um, and so for anybody who would try to make faith and assurance identical, um, I don't, I don't think that would work with this passage. So, um, now assurance is something, like I said, that not everybody has, um, you can still be saved, still have faith in Christ and not have assurance, but it should be, uh, the possession of the believer, um, it's something that we should, um, I mean, it should be, it should be the normal state of the believer and it's something that we should strive to have. Um, and it's something that we should pray for. Uh, and we see that it is something that the apostle Paul prayed for. So passage here in Ephesians chapter three, uh, verses 14 through 19. Um, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, um, obviously, Paul here is specifically, you know, praying for blessings uh, upon the Ephesian Christians here. Um, but specifically with reference to assurance, um, can anybody point out uh, the places in here where um, it goes beyond just like blessings of salvation to specifically assurance? You know, it's kind of a well, long verse, passage. Verse 16 seems to speak a lot to that. Mm -hmm. um, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through a spirit in in your inner being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, that definitely implies assurance. Is there anything else? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, again, he's talking in verse 17 about... Um, that you'll have that, that he'll dwell through that faith, but then it goes on um, that you'll be rooted and grounded in that love that you'll understand mm -hmm. how big, how deep, how wide. And so again, it's that whole thing of faith is what, what's there, not there. And mm -hmm. it's our understanding is that assurance. And so he's praying for us to have that deeper understanding mm -hmm. of assurance. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's uh, you may have strength to comprehend, um, and then in verse uh, 19, and to know the love of Christ. So not just not just that these things would be true of the Ephesian Christians, but that they would know them, that they would comprehend them. Um, and so basically, Paul is, you know, praying for their assurance that these blessings are theirs. Um, so it's definitely something that... Um, that again, it's it it should be the possession of God's children. Um, for various reasons, it may not be, but not only is it attainable, it's something that we should have, and we should we should pray for. We should pray for ourselves. We should pray for others. Now, 
assurance does have kind of a flip side though um because sometimes people are assured who aren't actually christians um and that's a very dangerous thing um i know we've looked at this passage recently uh matthew chapter 7 uh, verses 21 through 23 uh, jesus says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So that's a, a pretty sober warning. Um, could we say that that the people that he's referring to here have assurance of salvation. So, yeah, I would say that they definitely have an assurance, uh, uh just, but they don't have a, a true faith. Right. Yeah. So here in this instance, we just, we have a false assurance. Um, and I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, um, I think it's so dangerous when people teach that, um, you know, oh, the last thing you ever want to do is doubt your salvation. Because um, there is the possibility of being assured of your salvation when you are not saved. Um, and, I mean, this is pretty, pretty serious that, like, in the end, Jesus is telling them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Um, I mean, that is ultimate condemnation. And it's based on the fact that he never knew them. Not that he knew them at one point, but then they walked away. But these are people that he never knew. And yet they were assured that they were recipients of of God's favor. Um, hey, so, Chris. yes. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just no. going to say, I, I don't want to read too much into this but in verse 21 it says not everyone who says to me it doesn't say savior savior but mm -hmm. it says lord lord mm -hmm. and so they saw jesus as their master you know i mean so uh -huh. they they viewed their relationship with him as they were under him they were submissive to him you know they they knew him and yet he defines them as workers of lawlessness mm -hmm. you know so talking about being blind i mean that's like 180 you know it just mm -hmm. totally the opposite direction from what they perceived as to what reality was yeah yeah so well, definitely oh, go ahead well the implication also in 21 it's the one who does the will of my father in heaven so it's kind of the implication is they may think they're doing the will of god but they're not mm -hmm. i mean it almost says we prophesied in your name but was it really in his name right and the mighty works, I was that that wasn't really what he wanted them to do, whatever it was they were doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, and that's something that like we often see with um, with false teachers and um, you know various people who seem to have some kind of faith, but it's not and it's not placed in the in the right place. Is that they will very strongly believe that they are doing the works of God. Um, but they don't know God. And so um, 
they're just they're just completely mistaken. Um, but yeah, but they're like they're very active. They're you know they think they're being very pious. They think they're doing the will of God. Um, but in truth, he doesn't know them at all. But um, you know, the, definitely the idea is that they are very surprised. Um, I didn't include the passage, but uh, later in Matthew is the you know the parable of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus talks about on the you know final judgment day. Uh, judging everyone and the the uh, the ones on his left you know he's like there was all these situations and you didn't do what you should have done and they're like hey we we missed that you know um they thought they had been doing everything that they were supposed to do and were like genuinely surprised to find out um that you know that they that they weren't doing what they should have been doing. So it's it's definitely um, a real danger that people can be confident that they are serving God, that they will receive uh, benefits from God in the next life, but yet it's just not true. So um, another um, another similar passage. Um, this is uh, Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Um, it says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So how is this uh, similar to what we just saw in Matthew? Any thoughts? We got people here who um, obviously they're they're performing uh, works of lawlessness, um, just like Jesus was referring. Um, a little less um, like where they could clearly say, "Hey, we're doing the right things," but they still. Um, you know, they were still doing the priestly duties. They were still giving prophecies, um, but they were doing it all for the wrong reasons. They were um, doing it basically just to get money, and they were filled with all sorts of, of violence. Um, but in the midst of that, they were just persuaded that, oh, oh yeah, the Lord is in our midst. Um, no disaster shall come upon us. So they were not expecting any judgment um and they thought that you know they were on the same side as god um so people can definitely be deceived and have the assurance of the favor of god when in fact they have no grounds for that so in light of that what should we do well Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed uh, you fail to meet the test? So there we are, um, we are encouraged to examine ourselves. Um, that is really um, a large part of assurance. Um, assurance isn't simply just insisting on having confidence in your salvation, um, but it involves examining yourself and seeing um, if it seems like Christ is in you. Um, and there's specific ways that scripture lays out that we are to examine ourselves. Um, again, I apologize for the incorrect uh, chapter on the heading there. First uh, John five thirteen again that we saw. Um, Jesus or sorry, John says that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so John in his letter is laying out for them. Um, things for the purpose of them knowing that they have eternal life. So he is providing them with uh, ways that they can know that they have eternal life. He's providing them with ways that they can have assurance. So just to look at some of them, uh, one of them is back in chapter 2, 1 John 2, 3. He says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. So one of the ways um, that we can have assurance of salvation is if we are keeping God's commandments. Now, does this, does this mean that we're keeping God's commandments perfectly? Anybody remember anything that John says in relation to that? Yeah, if we uh, if we remember um, previously, um, you know, John had said, I don't remember, actually, I'm not even sure if it was previously, I can't, can't remember exactly where it's at. Um, but John had said that, um, you know, if we if we say we don't have sin, uh, we are liars and the truth is not in us. And so it's not that we keep his commands perfectly, but the the idea that we see over and over again in uh, in John's first epistle is the idea of of the the pattern of your life is one of of obedience um it's not perfect obedience but it is a life of uh that has a pattern of obedience that that's that's your your normal course of existence and when you sin you are seeking forgiveness from god not simply saying, oh, that's fine. It doesn't matter that I sin. Um, so one of the ways that we can have that confidence that we know God is if we see the sanctifying work of God in our lives, if we see that we are in some degree keeping God's commandments and that we're concerned when we don't keep God's commandments. Those are indications that um, that we are saved. Um most of the time, um, 
if you have somebody who um, who has a false assurance, um, they're not they're not ever um, looking at it and saying, "Oh gosh, I'm still sinning." That bothers me. You know, they're usually false assurance just never has that that particular problem. It's always confident that uh, you know that that God is going to be uh, gracious to them. Um, and not concerned at all about the fact that they're sinning. Another um, test that John gives us, uh, chapter 3, verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Um, so there again, it's... Um, it's simply the test of, do we love the brothers? Um, do we love our fellow Christians? Um, and he's, you know, very, very clear in there, you know, what that looks like. He talks about the, the example of Jesus who laid down his life for his brothers. And um, he talks about loving in deed and not word only. Um, and so we can look at our own lives and we can say, are our lives marked by love for our fellow Christians? Um, are we living lives that are just selfish and self-centered and only doing the things that are beneficial to us? Or are we sacrificing? Are we giving up our own, our own comforts, our own pleasures um, in order to, to promote the good of our fellow Christian. Um, so if we see that, um, that we are in fact self-sacrifice, self-sacrificially, uh, loving our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that is an indication that we have passed out of death into life, that we are truly saved. Peter, um, in 2 Peter 1.10, um, he, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these uh, qualities, you will never fall. Now, if you look back at the context, um, Peter has just given a whole list of, of qualities, um, basically, that, you know, that refer to our sanctification. Um, and so he's, he's presented this um, as like, here's, here's these things that you should be doing and saying, be diligent um, to, to do these things. And what do, you, what do you accomplish, according to Peter, if you, uh, if you do these things? Did I lose all my participants? So could you repeat the question? Sorry, I was uh, I had a screaming child and I missed. Okay, it. no, I I fully understand. Um, so so Peter has has uh, 
you know, talked about uh, these qualities in the in the previous context, these, you know, basically things that a company or that that are a part of salvation or a part of sanctification. And so he's saying, if you do these things, what are you what are you accomplishing if you're diligent to do these things? Well, it's by being diligent to uh, follow the uh, or follow these callings. We are mm-hmm. confirming our calling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, you're you're confirming your calling and election. And I mean, there it's like the calling. I mean, that's that's effectual calling. So there, that's the that's the application of redemption and election, of course. Um, that I mean, that precedes everything. It's not. It's not part of the application of our redemption, but it's. It's basically the you know the the thing that starts the whole thing back in eternity past. Um, God choosing us. Um, so you know these are these are the things of salvation that are are calling an election. And so if we live lives where we are practicing these these qualities, we are confirming. Um, and I think the implication is to ourselves. Um, and also to you know to other Christians who see us, but we're we're basically confirming that we are the called, that we are the elect, um, and so that is very much in the in the vein of assurance of salvation. Um, if you're not practicing these things, um, it's really hard to be confirmed about your calling and election. But if you are practicing these things. It confirms your calling and election. You can, you can look at this and say, "Okay, I, I am practicing these qualities by the grace of God." Um, so that really makes it look like God is working in me, and therefore He has called me. He has elected me, and so I can have assurance of my salvation. Um, and then, oh. I get the right thing here. Beyond that, um, there is also the the testimony of the Holy Spirit, which gives us assurance. Um, Paul addresses that here in Romans eight, uh, fifteen through seventeen. And excuse me, I know that we've um, we've looked at this passage in the past as well. It definitely bears on adoption as well, but. Um, here, uh, Paul says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, um so what specifically is Paul saying that the spirit uh confirms to us? Well um that we are adopted mm-hmm. as as sons and so therefore we don't have to fear we can rest right. in him. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, he bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. We we have been adopted. Um, you know, we can understand the the uh, the doctrine of adoption that we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, but this is the spirit is confirming to us, bearing witness to us that we ourselves are children of God. And if we're children of God, then we are heirs. We, we receive all these benefits. Um, and so, yeah, the, the Holy spirit confirms within us that we are children of God. Um, Paul also in first Corinthians chapter two, verse 12, um, says now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And so there again, we see um, the idea of the, the, you know, being given the spirit. Um, and um, here specifically, Paul is saying, so it's that, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So there, I mean, it's like, there are obviously a number of things freely given us by God. That's kind of what we've been talking about here in the application of redemption, all these things that God has given us. Uh, but the spirit comes in and enables us to understand these things, to, to actually know that these things are, uh, are true of us. Um, and we also, as we were looking in first John and his, um, discussion of assurance. He also uh, touches on this point. So, First John four thirteen. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. Um, so, definitely um, uh, a common theme is that um, the uh, the presence of the Spirit in our lives is a is something that gives us assurance that. Uh, the Holy Spirit testifies to us um, and it enables us to know, to know that we abide in him and he in us. Now, some people um, have a problem with the doctrine of assurance because they believe that if you are assured of your salvation, if you just are just persuaded that you are definitely saved, that well, the only reasonable result of that is that you're going to live lives uh, of sin because it's like, oh, well, I'm I'm guaranteed to be saved. Um, therefore, I can just live however I want. Um, that's often a charge that's made. However, um, aside from what we've already talked about in uh, specifically when we talked about sanctification and perseverance, um, Scripture is is pretty clear that that's just not the case. Um, again, in First John, First John three, two through three, uh, he says, "Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself, as He is pure." So, um, just looking specifically at verse three there, um, basically, you know, John is talking about somebody who 
has um, the hope of salvation. Um, and what what is it that that person is going to do if they have the hope of salvation? Well, he, he seeks to live a pure life mm -hmm. because he is pure. I mean, God has, has made him that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, he, he looks at the fact that God is pure and he purifies himself. Um, and if we just back up to verse two, um, there's kind of a grounding for that. Um, so, you know we're God's children and we're not going to be the same in the future as we are now. Um, we don't fully grasp what we're going to be. Um, but there is something that we do grasp. Um, so what is that? What is it that according to John here, we do know. What's going to be the case when Christ appears? Uh, when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Right. Yeah. So we as Christians, that, that like this is, this is part of our hope is that we know when he appears, we're going to be like him. We're going to, we're going to be holy like him. Um, and I mean, so it just kind of follows. Like, if this is our hope, if this is if this is what we desire as Christians, um, we don't we don't just desire just to escape the the punishment of God for our sins, but God puts in us a desire to be pure and holy like Him, and we look forward to this, and we know that when he appears, we're going to have that. Um, I know one time I, I was talking to somebody who um, was not necessarily like criticizing this, but more just coming from the perspective of probably as an unbeliever, uh, you know, somebody who I'm not sure if they were a believer or not, but um, they were basically coming at it from perspective of is like, well, if I'm just going to be, sanctified completely when I die, why should I work on it now? Um, and I, you know, I tried to come up with an analogy to make this person understand. Um, you know, I'm sure all of you have been driving on the road and have either run over a skunk or have driven by where somebody else ran over a skunk. Um, and so, Imagine you're, you know, and I, I, I grew up, you know, kind of in a, a more farming community. And so one thing that would happen sometimes is you do fence repair. And so, you know, somebody might, you know, you know, a couple people in a pickup and, and they stop somewhere to do some fence repair. And like one of them gets out and starts repairing the fence there. And the other one drives on down the road and, um, you know, does repair in another spot. Um, and so, you know, suppose you're there, you know, you're, you don't have the vehicle and you're working on the fence and somebody hits a skunk in the road. Um, 
now you know and you, you finish your job so you can you can leave um but you know that the guys the other guy is going to come and pick you up um do you just wait for him right next to the dead skunk or do you say i really want to be out of this stink I'm going to start moving towards him, even though I know he's going to come pick me up and I'll be completely away from this. I'm going to go ahead and start moving towards it right now because I just don't like where I'm at. Um, I mean, I know it's not a perfect analogy, but that's kind of the way that that I, you know, that I think of it. And then I was trying to illustrate it to this person is like, yeah, we're going to be perfectly sanctified in the future. Um, but boy, I don't, I don't like who I am now. I don't want to wait until, you know, until God glorifies me to be free of this. I'm going to, I'm going to fight against it as much as I can now because it's just stinky. So I don't know if that's helpful at all to you or not, but um, I think that is kind of the idea that we have here in this passage. Um. And then finally, um, our last passage this morning, uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And that, I mean, that's just kind of in the same vein there that, um, you know, that God has saved us. Um, but that salvation is one that, that teaches us to renounce ungodliness. Um, it's, it's one that teaches us to live upright and godly lives. Um, he has redeemed us from all lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So, I mean, obviously this very much ties into sanctification, but um, this is, um, you know, this is how God saves us. God saves us to, to live lives of holiness. Um, and um, being assured, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, we're waiting for our blessed hope. We, we have confidence that, that God is going to uh, come and, you know, bring our salvation to consummation. Um but that does not encourage us to live lives of sin. Um, that truly encourages us to, to live lives of good works, to live lives where we are, um, as much as we can manage in this life, pleasing to God. So that is, that is really where assurance should lead us, um, is to, to living in that way. So any, any thoughts or questions or comments um, about all of this? All right. Well, hopefully that was a, a helpful little study on assurance. It's um, obviously we need to be very concerned that we don't have a, a false assurance 
um, and we should strive that that we and our brothers and sisters in Christ all have assurance. Um, so we should, you know, pray for one another, pray for ourselves, and um, our lives should um, be ones in which we are examining ourselves to see if we see the marks of Christ in us, and um, and then truly just to to live our lives um, seeking to please God, confident in His uh, saving work in us. So. Um, let's go ahead and um, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, God, I I thank you for all of uh, just the, the wonderful passages uh, that encourage us to, to know the salvation that we have, to understand it. And God, I pray that you would, by your spirit, give us a, a, a true knowledge of the depth of your love for us. Uh, that that would be something that um, really just uh, just overwhelms our hearts. And God, I pray that you would continue to work in us, that we would be uh, a people who are zealous for good deeds. And God, we, we know that you will do that. We are confident that you will continue to sanctify your people, that you will, um, in the end, present uh, the bride of Christ as, um, as holy and unblemished, uh, that you will complete your work in us. And, um, God, I just pray that, um, that our love for you would continue to grow, um, our confidence in your great salvation, uh, and that for that you would receive all the glory. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Chris. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Chris.